Hello, my name is Isaac Keith Martinez, and welcome to Isaac's Haunted Beard. Today we're going to talk about Eraserhead from the year 1977. The last time that I watched this movie was fairly recently. I watched it on January 20th of this year. The reason, January 20th, is the director of Eraserhead, David Lynch's birthday. I don't always celebrate my favorite director's birthdays <laughs> by watching their movies on the day they were born, but sometimes I do. <laughs> In this case, I did. And I thought it would be fun to talk about one of my favorite movies with you. This is a nightmarish, surreal art film in black and white. And no, it is not for everybody. <laughs> I'm not convinced that all of you have seen it, but I am aware that many of you have. I will very lightly, super lightly, go over the plot. Just because it's, it's quite challenging to explain this film. So I'm going to explain it in the most simple way possible. So simple, in fact, that those of you who have not seen it, who are aware of its reputation of being a very weird film, will be like, uh, it doesn't sound that weird. Well, we'll talk about that a little later. But the most basic way that I can describe this plot is that this is a movie about Henry. And Henry's girlfriend hasn't been communicating with him recently. Like, she kind of ghosted him. And then, just recently, she reached out to him. So, he returns to her and finds out the reason she's been absent from his life for a little bit is that she had gotten pregnant and had given birth to their child. So, Henry, his girlfriend, and their baby now live together in his small apartment. And their baby looks like, well, it's hard to describe what he looks like, but uh, he's kind of like a weird alien monster creature looking baby. <laughs> it's not explained why. The baby looks so creature-like. It, it just does. <laughs> and with Henry's girlfriend back in his life, living in his apartment with their newborn baby, she can't take it. And she often comes and goes, you know, goes back to her parents' house. She often explains that she just needs a good night's sleep, which many times leaves Henry alone with the baby. So, this is a movie <laughs> about a guy who finds out he's a father by surprise, and the baby turns out to be a bizarre-looking creature that he now must care for, and how this affects his life.
it doesn't sound too remarkable. <laughs> or does it? I don't know. I think if somebody described a racer head to me like that, I'd go, that's what it's about? And for those of you who have seen it, you might be like, come on, dude. <laughs> it's not really, that's not really what it's about. I mean, it is, it is what it's about, but you're leaving stuff out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I leave it to you. How would you explain those things that you know I'm leaving out? On the one hand, I'm leaving these things out because they are confusing to explain. And on the other hand, if you haven't seen the movie and you choose to give it a shot, I think you'd be grateful that I didn't explain these things because these could be considered spoilers, even though they're not in the sense that traditionally a spoiler is something that ruins the plot. The film doesn't really feel like it has a plot. It's more of an experience. And these scenes are the major parts of the film. The, if you like it, the best parts of the experience. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil them. Now, <laughs> as I explained, I'm not gonna really explain this film or its symbolism, because I do feel a lot of these things that happen on the screen could be considered potentially symbolic. I'm more so going to talk about my history with the film. Uh, if you haven't seen the film, maybe after having this little conversation with me, you might be influenced to, to check it out. If anything, for a curiosity, um, I'll offer you what I think about Eraserhead, which, which are positive things. Like I said earlier, it's one of my favorite movies. And I will say this. Um... As far as, like, trying to explain Eraserhead, because I, I do think that after you see the film, if, if you like it, and if it inspires you to develop questions about, well, what did this mean? You might want to seek out answers. And David Lynch fans offer answers. And there's many YouTube videos, blog posts, uh, things written in books, things written in magazines, uh, things written in websites that that offer that. Not just for, for Eraserhead, but for all of David Lynch's films. If, if, if you know, David Lynch makes a lot of films that are considered confusing because they're loaded with moments that almost feel like they make sense, but they're not clearly explained in the movie and they feel like they carry like a symbolic nature and Eraserhead is no different for the record Eraserhead is David Lynch's debut film and gosh although I don't remember the name of the committee it was something like the I'm going to butcher this like the committee of like a film critics or society or something they had a vote of like the 100 greatest debut films of all time from a film director and number one was Citizen Kane by Orson Welles and number two was Eraserhead by David Lynch so as I said I'm not going to explain my my, uh, my opinions about the symbolism I think that's people who are better than that than I am but I will I will I will say this this movie feels like a nightmare and I feel like 
the reality of what a nightmare feels like to a person versus the way movies portray nightmares are very different. I, I never feel like movies get dreams correct, or at least not my dreams. Have you ever seen a dream in a movie and went, oh, that's, that's what my dreams are like? No, movie dreams feel like movie dreams, you know? You can spy, at least I can, I can spot a movie dream from a mile away. When you see a scene in your film, you're like, oh, I bet this is a dream sequence. They're a little tacky, right? I mean, they're sometimes fun, but they rarely get it right. And nightmares are, are no different, at least for me. A nightmare, unlike the way they're projected in films, um, they're very eerie, and they're not constantly filled with night, um, like violent imagery or monsters or whatever. A monster doesn't even necessarily mean a creature, just anything that's considered threatening. A lot of times they're the equivalent of a slow burn, which is what this movie is like, a slow burn, <laughs> which for many people is considered uh, boring, <laughs> but I'm not one of those people. Uh, and a nightmare feels like while you're experiencing it, you somehow sense that something's wrong and there is danger but you're helpless and you can't do anything about it. And it's not always the actual attack that is frightening. A lot of the times it's just the realization that you're in trouble and that you carry that dread. And most of a nightmare feels like that. And if you do reach that point in the nightmare where you have that attack, that's usually when you wake up. But most of the nightmare is just about being scared and that's what this movie feels like so i've always been uncomfortable with labeling it as a horror film i know a lot of people have been comfortable labeling it as a horror film and traditional horror fans don't like calling it a horror film because it doesn't feel like a, a basic horror film it's an art film but i guess within the world of art films it's a horror art film because it, it does feel like it it does feel scary it does it does make you feel dread um i used to rent this movie a lot in the 90s i think i first saw it in the early 90s i was already into david lynch i knew he made it i had already seen his movies and twin peaks had been on television and uh I found a video store near my home that had Eraserhead. I rented it and I loved it right away. Um, and I was a weird kid and a weird teenager. So, you know, I liked these weird movies right away. Even if I didn't understand them, I, I just, I liked the way they looked. And the thing, you know, a lot of people have these stories about renting movies from video stores. I hear a lot of people tell these stories about how back when video stores was a thing and that they had their favorite movies that they would rent all over and over again. Like every time they went to the video store, they'd rent the same movie. I wasn't that way for two reasons. Uh, reason number one is I was then as I am now, someone who was always on the journey to see more films. Uh, every time you watch a film is an opportunity. So why would I want to 
given opportunity to see a new film to a movie I've already seen before. So for that reason, when I went to the video store, which was regularly, I always wanted to see something new. I wasn't that guy who wanted to see something over and over again. However, and oh, and the other reason is because if I really, really liked a movie, uh, I'd, I'd, I would just find a way to um, make it a part of my life, which at the time, you know, late 80s, early 90s, whatever, that might have meant taping it off of cable or, you know, tracking down a used VHS copy. You know, there's different ways. It's not as easy. It wasn't as easy as it as it is now. But if it was important to me, I'd make it happen. And when I discovered Eraserhead, it changed for me. It wasn't a movie that I could have it enter my permanent collection. And I think for that very reason, and because of the addiction that I had of, of how fascinated that I was with the images of this film that were constantly playing in my mind, I wanted to see it again, I would rent it over and over again. And the first time that I had the opportunity to own Eraserhead in my permanent collection was when I was collecting movies on Laserdisc. Uh, it wasn't on Laserdisc, or at least as far as I knew then or knew now. It was never released in America on Laserdisc, but it was released on Laserdisc in Japan. And there was a store, a record store actually. It wasn't really a movie store. It was a music store. But you could you could get them to special order you things. And this is pre-internet. So you really needed the help of a middleman, right? You needed stores to help you get things. And this store would often order movies for people who requested them. And there was a, another guy, actually, uh, a guy who um, who I was, it was more of an acquaintance, but he, we became friends later. Um, he actually requested that they order Eraserhead from Japan. And when it came in, it was like on display behind the shelf. Like they had like a shelf of things that were waiting for people who had ordered them. So when I would go in, I'd see it there. And I'd be like, oh, wow, is that for sale? I'm like, no, so-and-so ordered that. I'm like, ooh. So it was like taunting me. Like I really wanted it, but it wasn't mine. It was spoken for. But what bothered me was I went to that store fairly regularly. And every time I went, it was still there. So I was like, well, why did so-and-so order it if he wasn't going to pay for it? So finally, I I asked him, like, look, it's, it seems as though they've lost interest. Will you sell it to me? I'm like, no, that's not fair. He ordered it. It's spoken for. I'm like, okay. And then I'd go back and back and back. It would always be there. Finally, I'd be like, come on, dude. He's obviously never going to buy it. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's been a long time. Here's what we'll do. The fair thing is I'll call him at home. Because I've called him before to tell him it was here. And he just has never picked it up. And I'll ask him if it's okay to sell it. So he called him. And he got off the phone with them. And he said, he said, it's okay. Um, I guess he just wasn't ready to buy it yet. And he was prepared to order it again. So he's like, you can sell it to Isaac. So <laughs> he did. He sold me the, uh, the store sold me the Japanese laser disc of Eraserhead. And I still own that copy. And I'll never get rid of it. It's like a, it, it looks neat for starters because it's, you know, the sleeve of like a, the size of a record. And it's neat because it's got Japanese writing on it. But it's also got that story behind it, you know? 
which may seem like a silly story, but <laughs> I tend to romanticize all my memories that I, I link with movies. And for the record, to this day, uh, Eraserhead's one of the only movies where I own the film on um, all the formats, minus beta. <laughs> I don't have a Betamax collection, but I have it on VHS, I have it on Laserdisc, I have it on DVD, and I have it on Blu-ray. And I'll only watch it on Blu-ray, but it doesn't mean I want to not keep all my copies. Here's a little story about the Blu-ray. I have the Criterion Collection Blu-ray. And I bought it at Costco. <laughs> I talked about this before on the show, but remember when Costco used to sell Blu-rays? Okay, the peak, the absolute peak of when Costco sold Blu-rays was when Costco sold uh, Blu-rays. And in that Blu-ray section, they also had a section devoted to the Criterion Collection. And that seems so surreal now in retrospect. I can't believe that, that there was a time where you could get Criterion Collection Blu-rays, which are pricey at Costco prices. <laughs> so I regard Eraserhead as the best thing I've ever bought at Costco in my entire life. I only had uh, one other movie that I ever bought from Costco that was from the Criterion Collection of Blu-ray, and that was Repo Man. So two good scores. Uh, let's go back to the 90s, shall we? I remember one time going to a grocery store and there was um, a man, I wasn't a man yet, but there was a man, a stranger, <laughs> and he was shopping and he was wearing an eraser head t-shirt. And I went up to the stranger and I complimented him on his shirt. And I'm like, and I really went off on him. I was so excited. I'm like, cause that was around the time I discovered the movie. And then there was this other person wearing a shirt of this movie that I was so excited about. It felt like I had discovered a kindred spirit. And I was like, wow, I can't believe you have a shirt of that movie. I love that movie. I've been watching that movie so much. I can't stop renting it from the video store. And I love this movie. And I can't believe you have a shirt of this movie. And this movie is so awesome. And I just went on and on and on and on. And then I think when I was done with my rant, the stranger said to me something like, uh, I've never actually seen this movie. I just thought it was a cool shirt. And it broke my heart. <laughs> it broke my heart. That was the first time in my life that I've ever met a person who, wore, who was wearing a shirt of a thing that they weren't actually a fan of. It's common now. It's been common for a long time. But I think at the, especially at that time, like in the early 90s, that wasn't as common. Um... You know, uh, I'm going to go on a little side side thing here. The thing about, about T-shirts, more so then than now, I wish it was still this way, but it's not. And I don't think it's ever going to be this way again, is that at the time, especially if you felt weird, like you liked contraculture, you liked strange music or films or art or anything like that, and you felt lonely and you felt like you didn't, have any friends or, or other people who shared your interests and you didn't know how to even find those people. When you encountered someone wearing a t-shirt that had a band that you listened to that nobody else liked or heard of or a movie, you felt like you found a member of your tribe. It was important and it was special. And 
when the guy was like, oh, I've never even seen this movie. I felt betrayed, you know? But now it's common. Lots of people were, especially bands, they were t-shirts of bands they've never listened to. And it's not even considered a poser thing anymore. It's just common. So you can't even, you know, you can't even find your tribe because if you see a picture, if you see, if you meet a, see a person or meet a person and they're wearing a shirt of a band that you like or a movie you like, you can't even immediately assume they like it or they know anything about it. They, they might just be wearing the shirt because it looks cool or because they think they look cool in it. And other people who do that think they are cool, but people who actually like that band think they're lame. <laughs> But that's just my opinion. What do I know? Uh, fast forward to about, you know, I don't know, 20 years later, 25 years later, my friend, Mike Bland, bought me an Eraserhead t-shirt as a gift. I don't think he knew the story. He just bought it because he's a dope guy. He has great taste in music and great taste in films. And we share that. And we are kindred spirits. It's one of my favorite things about him is that we can have these kinds of conversations and we respect each other's opinions. And when he gives me a gift like that, it's because he knows I like this film and it's coming from a person who appreciates a movie like Eraserhead. So it means a lot to me. It means a lot to me that I have the shirt, but it even means more that it comes from a person who's legit versus the guy who I met in the early 90s who was wearing the shirt who absolutely was not legit. Yeah. Did you know only 25 people attended the world premiere of Eraserhead on the day it was released in the movie theater? That's crazy to me. But it found its audience eventually through midnight movies. There's two stories that are linked to Stanley Kubrick, film director Stanley Kubrick. If you don't know who that is, we do not have time on a history lesson of Kubrick, but I'm sure you do. The first story, and both stories point to the fact that Eraserhead is Stanley Kubrick's favorite film, or was. Kubrick's no longer with us. One story was that someone was talking to David Lynch who was also a friend of Kubrick and said, oh, you know, the weirdest thing happened last night. I went to Kubrick's house and a bunch of us were hanging out. And he said to us, hey, I'd like to show you my favorite film. And he showed us Eraserhead. And that was how David Lynch found out that Eraserhead was Stanley Kubrick's favorite film. I don't know if that story's true because there's another story that says that Stanley Kubrick met David Lynch while Kubrick was, uh, excuse me, while Lynch was making The Elephant Man, which is David Lynch's second film. And Stanley Kubrick told David Lynch that Eraserhead was his favorite film, and that while he was making the movie The Shining, he showed Eraserhead to the cast and crew and explained to them, you see this movie? This is the tone I'm going for. This is the feeling I want our movie to have. So yeah. I don't know if either story is true. I mean, what if they're both lies? I don't know. I feel like one of them's got to be true. I'd like to believe that Stanley Kubrick's favorite movie was Eraserhead and makes sense to me. You know that sketch comedy group from before called The Kids in the Hall? Of course you do. I love them. Bruce McCullough, who, for the record, <laughs> is my second <laughs> favorite kid in the hall. My favorite's Kevin McDonald, but that's 
neither here nor there. Bruce McCullough has an album called Shame Based Man, and it features comedy sketches and songs. And on it is a song called Eraserhead. <laughs> and it's just a song about how he explains in the lyrics that sometimes once a week, every year, he goes on what he calls a vacation where he just gets drunk for like a week every day in his dark house and just watches your racer head every day and kind of like makes this spiritual connection with the film. It's not even really a funny song. It's just a kind of a weird song, which makes sense because it's a weird movie. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you should seek out that song just for, just for the heck of it. So there's a lot of great stories surrounding the making of this film. So many that it would take up this whole podcast episode. And besides, like I said, you can always look those up, but I do want to share one of my favorite stories about it. And that was this one. This was a student film. David Lynch went to film school and he didn't like it and he was going to quit. And he found out that if he stayed, they would finance a movie that he would make if he made it on campus and used their cameras and their film stock and blah, blah, blah. So he pitched his, his movie, Eraserhead, to them because you have to tell them what you want to make before they go, okay, we're going to green light your film. And his screenplay was only 21 pages long. And you know what? I've heard that in the film industry, one page of a screenplay is equal to one minute's worth of time on screen. So the school went, oh, 21 pages. That's like 21 minutes. You want to make a short film? Go for it. And <laughs> little did they know he was actually making a feature. And that one page in David Lynch's brain is not one minute's worth of film. <laughs> he can take a while showing things that only takes one page to describe. And if you see the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Or if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. But if you haven't seen the movie, if for some reason you are curious, because really at this point, I don't think I've done a good job of pitching this movie to those who haven't seen it. And I'm not even going to suggest that you'll all like it, because it is not for everyone. But it doesn't hurt to try new things and to form an opinion of your own. That way, when people talk about it, at least you know what they're talking about and you already know how you feel about it. But if you do want to watch it, I do think you should go into it, giving the movie the chance to win you over. If you have it in you to like it, if you do decide to watch this film, I do think you should turn the lights off. Not just because I feel all movies should be watched with lights off, but this is a black and white film. And I think black and white films especially should be watched in the dark. And I don't think you should live tweet it. In fact, I don't think you should have your phone nearby at all. And I don't think you should even talk to people if you're watching with other people. I think you should watch it in silence. And for the record, I think that this is how all movies should be watched, but that's just me. I guess I'm cuckoo bananas. But I think this movie in particular really benefits from that. I think you should just let the film absorb you into its world. And whatever happens, happens. However it makes you feel, that's the way you were meant to feel. I don't think that there is a right way or a wrong way to have Eraserhead affect you. I don't blame you if you find it confusing or boring or unsettling. It's that kind of movie. I get it. Some of us are weirdos and some of us really appreciate 
weird art. And if there was a Mount Rushmore of cult films and midnight movies, Eraserhead would be on that mountain. Thank you for spending time with me. We'll talk again next week. Please take care of yourself and each other. You know I love you, and I really appreciate you. Aloha.